while you get situated, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and pull it out and open up to Proverbs chapter 25. That's where we're going to be this morning. And as you kind of get yourself settled there, let me just frame where we are and zoom out a little bit and just talk about big picture. What are we doing over the course of this summer? So if you're visiting with us this morning, this will kind of give you some context or uh, it'll just be a good reminder for all of us. What we're doing over the course of the summer is we're looking at the book of Proverbs and talking about what, what is just practical wisdom for living gospel-centered lives. Being people whose lives are centered on the gospel, that's peg number one for us under what it means to be a, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, how we define that here at LCF. And so the question is, how do we actually, what does it actually practically look like to build lives on the gospel and be wise in the way that we live. And so the book of Proverbs gives a wealth of information about how it is that the truth of scripture and the truth of what it looks like to follow Jesus intersects with the actual lived out situations that we experience in life. And so we worked straight through the first three chapters of the book of Proverbs, but then we've been going thematically, which is how it makes more sense to handle the book of Proverbs. Um, And so we've talked about marriage, we've talked about listening, uh, talking, last week was about anger, we'll go on to talk about family, friendship, work, finances, decision-making, worship, but this week we're going to talk about self-control, and we're going to talk about it through one proverb, just Proverbs 25 verse 16. And as we jump in, I want to give the overarching reminder that we've been giving throughout this series, and that's that wisdom is far more than just knowing what's good and what's bad and choosing the good thing. That is an aspect of wisdom, but in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified, that you can have a relationship with wisdom, and that relationship is rooted in Jesus Christ, who is ultimately the wise one. And so as we launch into this discussion about self-control, I want us to keep that at the forefront of our minds. A few hundred years ago, uh, a monk put together a list, uh, at least that we're familiar with, even if we couldn't name all seven of them, but it's the list of the seven deadly sins. The seven cardinal sins might be a way that you think about them. And then there's a corollary list that are called the seven heavenly virtues. These are... Uh, contrasts to one another. So the seven deadly sins are pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. And then on the other side of those are the seven heavenly virtues. Humility, charity, chastity, kindness, temperance, or self-control, patience, and diligence. If we're going to have a conversation about self-control, I think it's impossible to do so without also having a conversation about gluttony. There are two sins, I think, within the American church that not only get mostly totally ignored, but really we kind of celebrate. Breaking the Sabbath and gluttony. Just think back over the course of your time going to church, uh, your life hearing sermons. When was the last time you heard a sermon about gluttony? I would imagine it would be difficult to conjure one up. Tucked into the middle of these two lists are gluttony and self-control. Gluttony being the problem, self-control being the grace-driven, spirit-powered solution to that problem. And let me just give this warning before we jump in. This 
topic and uh, this sermon, I'm fairly confident, is going to get kind of all up in everybody's business in a way that we're not super comfortable with. And that's okay. Over the course of my own preparation, uh, the Lord's always faithful to kind of convict me and illuminate things to me that are uh, on a personal level, some stuff that never makes it into the sermon that's just very challenging for me. This one maybe more so than, than any I've put together over the last couple of years. And so what I'm asking is that you would come to Scripture with me openly and honestly here, Allow the Holy Spirit to speak and to convict and to illuminate to you, but then to not let that stop when we're done, to actually allow that work to continue as we walk out the door. And so I'm going to pray in that direction, and then we'll jump into Proverbs 25, 16. Lord, I pray that uh, you would meet us here this morning. God, that your spirit would take the truth of your word and implant it into our hearts in such a way that we are appropriately convicted where we need to be convicted, that we might be encouraged where we can be encouraged, Lord, that we would be strengthened where we need to be strengthened. God, I pray that over the course of this morning um, and forward, Lord, you would help us to give honest examination to where it is in our lives that we find ultimate satisfaction. God, I pray that your spirit would illuminate to us where it is that we might be making a gift of yours out to be something greater than you, the giver of that gift. God, I pray that you would challenge us with your word this morning, Lord, that we would be uh, deepened in our satisfaction, dependence, and trust in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read this together. Here's what it says. If you find honey... Eat only what you need. Otherwise, you'll get sick from it and vomit. That's about as practical as it gets. If you find honey, eat only what you need. Otherwise, you'll get sick from it and vomit. We've got to start by talking about gluttony. The word gluttony comes from the Latin word, which literally means to gulp down. That's why when we think about gluttony, we typically think about food. But we can be gluttons in uh, aspects of life that extend way outside what goes onto our plate and then subsequently into our mouths. And so what I want to do here is I want us to look at gluttony, and we're going to kind of talk food, but then we're going to zoom out and talk about other areas of life and then zoom back into food and hopefully really get our arms around what is gluttony and what is the problem with it that Scripture tries to lay out for us. So here's just a basic definition. The gluttony is a craving that controls you. A craving that controls you. Our society says that if a little of something is good, then more of that thing should probably be better. Whereas... The Bible displays for us that we can enjoy the gifts of God as we indulge in the giver. And so the danger here is to talk as if the gifts of God are bad, as if they themselves are the issue. The gifts aren't the problem. The problem is our flesh. God made or has given his creation the ability to make all kinds of wonderful gifts in our world. And they exist for a specific reason. In fact, we exist for a specific reason. The Westminster Catechism 
says that reason is this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper states it this way, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's why we're here, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so all of the other gifts that God has placed on this earth exist to point us back to him, to remind us of him, to help us to enjoy him. That means that all of God's wonderful myriad gifts are a means to an end. That end is the Lord's glory. Where gluttony takes over is when we treat one of those gifts as if that gift is the end in and of itself. And so talking about gluttony, let's start specific with food. Food is a good thing. Our flesh tries to oftentimes treat it as though it's more than just one of God's gifts. How does God describe the promised land to the Israelites? It's a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. He gives them that picture. This is where I'm taking you. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. So milk and honey must not be a bad thing. That was supposed to be a picture that conjured up for the Israelites, this amazing place that the Lord was going to take them. And then in Numbers 13, they're right on the edge of that promised land and they send these spies in there. And the spies come out, they've scoped out the land and they're supposed to give a report on it. And two of them come out and strung between them is one cluster of grapes on a pole. And they come out and they say, indeed, that land is flowing with milk and honey and look at the size of these daggum grapes. I mean, they are so big. They've got them strung. Like I picture taking a pig to like a luau in between a, on a pole between two people because one cluster is that big. And God is saying to them, I'm going to provide for you in this place. Look at the gifts. It's flowing with milk and honey. These grapes are amazing. The spies come out and they say there are pomegranates and figs there. Jesus says we're not defiled by what goes into our mouth. That it isn't the food that's unclean. The gifts are not the problem. The problem arises when the enjoyment of the gift overshadows the glory, the goodness, and the grace of the giver. And so how does gluttony manifest itself? Well, the most typical way we think about gluttony is that we can have too much of something. That's what Proverbs 25:16 is talking about. You eat too much of something, the honey, and it'll make you sick. That's manifestation number 1. Too much makes you sick. But there are other ways that gluttony can manifest itself. We can have something too frequently. When we have it too frequently, it can become a thing that makes us a slave. We can try to enjoy something that's too costly, and then that ends up leaving us strapped. We can enjoy one of God's gifts in a way that's too ungrateful, and that makes us selfish. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, Paul is urging the church at Philippi to follow after the model of faithful men and women who have come before them. He has this to say about those who are, quote, enemies of God. That's the way he describes it. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. How does Paul distinguish those who are faithful to the Lord and those who are not? He distinguishes via their appetites, their cravings, what controls them. 
So let me ask, do you have cravings that control you? Do you have desires that master you? Let me give some illustrations. I'm going to zoom out here. Let's pull back from food. But let me start with one that I think, I don't know if it's unique to Christian culture, but one that I think in Christian culture will speak to a lot of us. Coffee. I don't know that there's an under-over on how much coffee can make you, you've teetered over into where you're sick. We can absolutely engage with coffee in a way that's too frequent and makes us slave, where you wake up and if you've been up for more than an hour, now you've got a headache because you haven't hit caffeine hit number one yet. That has started to control you. We can absolutely utilize it in a way that's too costly. We're like item number two or three that goes into the budget is Starbucks because I'm going to go five or six days a week, pay six, seven, eight dollars for a cup of coffee, and that means that I've got to budget like a hundred dollars a month for that. And while I'm trying to rework the budget and figure out where's the money going, I would never think to eliminate the coffee because I have to have it. That craving controls you. That's gluttony. Some others. Netflix. You get done with an episode on Netflix and in the bottom corner it asks you, you want one more? (laughs) You think to yourself, absolutely I do. And suddenly you've watched the entire third season of Stranger Things in one day and you're like, where did the last 10 hours of my life go? That's gluttony. As if one more episode is going to be the thing that ultimately satisfies you on that Saturday morning. We can get gluttonous about exercise, which sounds like a contradiction. But we can build our day around the fact that if I don't get up and get started with this workout, then something's missing in my life. You spend all day long thinking about that workout, wanting the endorphin hit. I can admit for myself that this is me sometimes. If you've been coming here very long or you know me very well, you know that I love to run. But I can get to the point where I've convinced myself that if I could just get like five more miles in, then I'll be having a better day. I'll be more satisfied with the state of my life today. Is working out physical activity the problem? No. It's that my flesh can turn it into this ultimate thing that's going to somehow provide satisfaction for me. This will appeal to the younger generation, but video games. Parents, how many times have you had an interaction with your child where you're just begging them to put the controller down? One more game of Fortnite. And suddenly it's 2 a.m. You don't know where the time's gone. Our cravings for sex can get out of control. And when that appetite starts to control you, the results can be ruinous, whether it be turning to pornography or adultery or sex outside of marriage. Social media, we can be gluttonous about. We've got the window to Facebook open on our computer all day long and we can't seem to get more than like 10 minutes down a task before switching back to see if anybody's posted anything. Instagram or Twitter becomes the first thing you do when your alarm goes off in the morning. That's a craving that controls you. Alcohol, just visit a college campus. You can see what gluttony for alcohol looks like. And of course, there's food. 
We can want too much of it. We can want it too frequently in a manner that's too costly or in a manner that's ungrateful. We give ourselves over to emotional eating or boredom eating. And we're just fixated on it. And the great danger in all of these is that gluttony or overindulgence ultimately makes us spiritually flabby. It dulls us to the deepest realities of life. So we're going to zoom back in and talk about food specifically because I think we can all relate to this. But I want to give some caveats as we jump in. This is not about size or body shape. There are a lot of factors that go into how it is that our physical body looks. Ultimately, this is about an unhealthy relationship with food that can take multiple forms. Thinking that food is going to be the thing that satisfies us. Remember, the question is not necessarily how much are you eating, though that's a component of it. The question is, what controls you? That could be causing you to eat too much. I will admit, this is me. Like I said, I run a lot, and that allows me to convince myself that I can just eat a lot. And if I ran a little more that day, I can eat a little more that day. It could also cause you to restrict and eat too little. And food is still the thing that controls you, but it controls you in a manner by which you don't put enough in. It could cause you to be overly focused on food at all times. It's just running in the back of your mind all day long is like, when is the next meal coming? Or when is the next snack coming? I sat down with Mindy Shriver. If you don't know who Mindy Shriver is, uh, she's actually over here. She's about to be on the screen. Her and her family have been attending LCF for uh, a number of years now. Mindy is passionate about helping people, women specifically, but all people, um, have a healthy relationship, a right relationship with food. And so we sat down to talk about self-control. And we started talking about self-control in general, and then we moved toward food in specific. And two different times during this sermon this morning, I want to play for you a chunk of that interview because Mindy phrased some things exceptionally well. And so this is the first piece of that, where we started by just talking about self-control in general. One of the things we've been doing in this series is what's the world's view on a topic versus what does scripture say? So if you had to just, here's what the world says about self-control in all of its various forms. How would you articulate that? You know, self-control, first of all, from the world, it starts with the word self. So we as Christians, or even as just humans, sinners, we look at that first word, like, mm. oh, it's just all about me. Like I can beat myself into submission and to do this. Mm. And I can, uh, I can find the strength within myself to be disciplined every day and to make my charts and to track myself and to, and, and those things, those disciplines are good. But sometimes when we're disciplined um, with self-control, it, it, when it becomes about us, through us, within us, about us, mm. then we leave just, we just only think about the self. And I really fully believe that we get off track because we're sinners and we forget that self-control is biblical, comes from God's word, and we do it only to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm. Like, so you, you kind of mentioned this, but the ultimate aim of self-control being to glorify God and um, you kind of define that as being able to use your body mm -hmm. 
to serve him kind of maximally. It's a game changer when we can make nutrition, fitness, movement, an act of daily worship to God. Hmm. And so that we're always thinking, why am I doing this? I'm not doing it for six pack abs. When I think about the Great Commission, that's, that's a lot of physical movement. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of exhaustion emotionally, mentally, physically. Hmm. And so I really truly believe that God desires for us to take care of our bodies so that we can be a better version of the hands and feet of Jesus. Hmm. I really like to eat. Um, I run a lot, so I convince myself that that means that I can just eat as much as I want to as soon as I want it, um, which is an unhealthy relationship with food. Right. Um, and so part of this conversation is learning to be self-controlled in the amount that we put in to our body and when and not having an attachment to mm -hmm. um, feeling like a certain quantity of food is the thing that we need. I, I think it's super important that to preface this to say that it's discernment in whether or not you're going to have grandma's apple pie or two pieces of it in an appropriate setting like I think that's okay so I don't want people to be like I can't have grandma's apple pie all the time I'm not a robot but portion control is a thing and taking only what we need is found through scripture in an exodus when when the people are grumbling because they had to leave Egypt and they had like great fish there and all kinds of wonderful foods, you know, they're, they're like, we're hungry, feed us, we don't, you know. So he's like, calm down. The, the thing about the Exodus story in manna is that he provides what they need every single morning. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to an unhealthy relationship with food, we have to discern, am I going for an extra piece of pizza because I'm bored or I just need to satisfy some kind mm. of emotional need. Because when, when he puts the manna on the ground and they go and collect it, he also says, don't take more than what you need. Mm. And what do they do? They take more than what they need and it spoils and gets maggots and, and, and that is gluttony. Yeah, glut, gluttony, issues of quantity come down to trust mm. and that's, that's what is so interesting to me in the Exodus story is, did they want more to eat? Absolutely. Did they also have this lingering question of like, is he actually going to provide this for me tomorrow? Amen. And so I'd rather eat more now. And if I eat more now, then if he doesn't provide, gluttony becomes like f kind of food hoarding mm -hmm. almost that mm -hmm. I can't trust that he's going to provide for me. And one of the struggles I think in food self-control is where do we put our dependence? Like, am I depending on the Lord and his goodness? And when emotional issues or stress-related issues come up, I can go to him and trust that he's gonna provide, or do I think that food will provide? Let's wrap up the gluttony side of this conversation. Derek Kinder, who is a commentator on the book of Proverbs says this, but since Eden, man has wanted the last ounce out of life. As if beyond God's enough lay ecstasy, not nausea. At a heart level, here is what gluttony displays. It displays a misplaced satisfaction. That we're mastered or controlled by the wrong thing because we think that ultimately that thing is going to satisfy us. It displays missing gratitude. Thinking that the gifts are ultimately about us rather than being about the giver. 
rather than pointing us to him and helping us to find our enjoyment in him, our satisfaction in him and glorifying him, we think the gifts were just made so that we could enjoy them as an end in itself. And then that also displays a misuse of God's gift, that the gift is to be gloried in, not the giver. And so what our gluttony really displays is that our sense of satisfaction needs to be sanctified. We train ourselves to be marginally content with lesser things, thereby not giving ourselves the chance to be fully contented by the greatest thing. And that greatest thing is the glory of the Lord. So let's flip the conversation and talk about self-control. Self-control is more than merely a heavenly virtue that someone came up with and put on a list of seven things. Like Mindy said, self-control is biblical. Look, if you're still in Proverbs 25, look over to verse 28. It's the last verse of that chapter. Talking about having self-control in relation to our anger. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A person who does not control his temper is like a city whose walls are broken down. That without self-control, you're open or vulnerable to attack. If you're a note taker, jot down 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Peter says that without self-control, we cannot be fruitful in our knowledge of or our service to the Lord. And then, of course, there's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruits of the Spirit, whereby we get a reminder that we are not the ones who are going to achieve self-control. Self-control is not a fruit of your own discipline. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that's going to do that work inside of us. And so, like we did with gluttony, let's just define self-control. And I think this definition from Jonathan Edwards is a good one. That self-control is the almost impossible practice of learning to control the beast of one's own passions. The whole notion of self-control assumes two things. Number one, there's something that needs to be controlled. And number two, something is available that can control it. Jonathan Edwards says it's the almost impossible practice of learning to control those passions. The world says that self-control starts and ends with the self, that it's a work of the self brought about by the strength of the self, ultimately for the improvement of the self. In the world's eyes, self-control is an entirely selfish pursuit. It's a good pursuit, but it's a selfish one, whereby at the center of that pursuit is me. A better version of me, a healthier me, a less angry me, whatever the case might be. Whereas God says that self-control starts and ends with the Lord. That it's a work of the Spirit, brought about by the strength of the Spirit, ultimately for the glory of the Lord. In the Bible's eyes, self-control is an entirely God-centered pursuit. It's not just a good pursuit, it's a holy pursuit. And at the center of that pursuit is God. His glory is the purpose, His Son purchased its possibility, and His Spirit empowers it. And so the danger here, whereas before the danger on talking about gluttony was to think that the gifts are bad, the danger here is to find the right mix of the work of the Holy Spirit and yet my own effort. Because if you're sitting here this morning thinking, you know what, I think I am controlled by this craving. I'll just go home and sit there and hope that it goes away and not do anything about it you're probably not going to be successful. There's a mixture here of the power of the Holy Spirit actually empowering you to make different choices, to seek different satisfaction. 
And the Holy Spirit does this by retraining our heart's sense of what it ultimately wants. John Piper says that we need to learn to fight with the word yes rather than the word no. We do need to say no, but we do so by having a better yes. There's only one thing in all of the universe that is safe to fully indulge upon, and that is the glory, the grace, and the goodness of God. It won't make you sick. It won't make you slave. It won't leave you strapped. It won't make you selfish. You were literally made to indulge upon him to the utmost. Your flesh wants to indulge. It was made to. It was made to be fully and completely and eternally satisfied in him. And so you're seeking to indulge in something. It's our sin that causes us to indulge in the wrong thing. And so we need to learn to say yes to what our cravings actually point to. And until we learn to be satisfied with what our soul ultimately longs for, we'll continue to be gluttons for gifts while longing for the giver. And so we partner with the Holy Spirit to have our satisfaction sanctified. And at a heart level, what self-control displays is that we have an appropriately placed satisfaction that you could honestly say about any one of God's gifts, food, entertainment, exercise, nature, whatever the case might be, that you could say, you know what, I love this thing, but I could be content without it. I could be totally fine if it were gone. At a heart level, self-control displays appropriate gratitude, a thankfulness for the Lord's gifts, that you see a beautiful piece of art, and it makes you think of a God who's creative, that the God who gave an artist the ability to paint an incredible picture or a composer the ability to put together beautiful music is the same God who paints the sunset on the sky. That you've got appropriate gratitude, that physical activity makes you thankful for a God who created such wonderfully complex bodies, that food and drink make you thankful for a God who created us with taste. I don't know, I suppose he could have made us in such a way that sustenance came about and it wasn't an enjoyable experience, but he gave us taste buds. So food and drink are good. Shopping, whether it be for groceries or for clothing, makes us thankful for a God who provides for us. That in the same way he clothes the flowers of the field, he's provided clothing for us. There's an appropriate gratitude. And self-control displays an appropriate use of God's gifts. That we use them in appropriate amounts and at appropriate times for the purpose of glorifying and enjoying God. Look back at Proverbs 25, 16 again. You go for too much of one of the gifts and it'll make you sick. More of that thing is not ultimately going to satisfy. But the important piece here is that less of that thing is not ultimately going to satisfy either. The satisfaction is in the giver, not the quantity of the gift. What's going to satisfy you at your deepest level is learning to indulge in the only thing that never spoils, never runs out, never lets you down, never makes you sick. We indulge in the grace and the glory and the goodness of the giver. We say yes to all it is that he has to offer our souls. And in doing so, everything else starts to fall into its rightful place at its rightful quantity. Let's zoom back in and end with food again. I think we can all relate to this. You can 
take this sort of application principle and apply it to any gluttony struggle that you might have. Pastor and author Michael S. Houdman says this, human appetites are an analogy for our ability to control ourselves. If we're unable to control our eating habits, we're probably also unable to control our other habits, such as those of the mind, like lust, covetousness, and anger, and unable to keep our mouths from gossip or strife. I asked Mindy at the end of our interview, if you had to just give someone a practical tip that they could take to try to break the power of gluttony and cravings in their life, where should they start? And again, this is food specific, but it could be applied to anything. Here's what Mindy had to say. Let's kind of wrap things up with a practical tip or two that you could give to someone and they say, okay, that's great. I'll, I'll reading, I'm reading scripture. I'm diving back in to my relationship with the Lord, but how do I actually tackle the the food thing? What do I do there? Any like handles for people to grab onto for that? Well, when I'm working with women specifically, the very first thing we do is we tackle water Hmm. and their relationship with water. Because a lot of people really like their Dr. Pepper or their Diet Cokes. And there's something about that fuzzy (laughs) thing going down in your throat that's just satisfying. And so I'm a big believer in retraining your heart and mind to make them feel one thing. Hmm. And water's so important. And I've gotten to places in my life where I would drink too much coffee, feel literally feel dehydrated, knowing that God was saying, hey, what, get back to the water. Like, hmm. what's, you gotta get back to the water. So one thing that I did to myself and I now coach other women to do is first of all, have like your best friend attached to the hip cup of water and you're drinking that the appropriate amount every day. And every time you drink that water, you think to yourself about Jesus being the living water. Mm. And so you're drinking that water and it becomes like, oh, Jesus is the living water. Devour stories like the woman at the well, at the well or other verses in the Bible that talk about the living water. There's a lot of symbolic verses in the Bible about that. So to start devouring that scripture and every time mm. you take a drink, sip sip before you know it you've drank a hundred ounces of water every day and you've retrained your heart and your mind to think this is a good thing because i'm also associating this living water that's cleansing my physical body also thinking about jesus who cleanse who cleanses me altogether Uh, mindy and i sat and we talked for about 30 minutes we played about six and a half of that here. We're going to make available the whole interview conversation. If you're interested in that, it'll come via our podcast channel um, this week. So let's work with the application there. You may need to cut back on something. And as you cut back, it's okay to crave, but allow those cravings to send you back to the word rather than to your gluttony, allow those cravings to remind you of what your heart ultimately longs for, like Mindy was saying with replacing in, in water there. Your soul longs for living water, not you know, bubbly Dr. Pepper or whatever the case might be. You may need to replace or rein in the costs or ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow in your gratitude for the giver over the gift. You might want to wake up in the mornings and pray something like Psalm 90, verse 14. If you're a note taker, jot that down. Psalm 90, verse 14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all of our days. The goal here is not 
to hyper-spiritualize everything that you do in your life. The goal is to ask ourselves, what controls me? Do I have cravings for a gift from the giver that control me, or is it the giver himself? We wanted to end this morning with communion. Let me explain why. In this conversation about gluttony, I don't think that it's coincidental or unintentional that Jesus tells us to remind ourselves of his act with a meal. That we would come to communion and literally feast upon the grace of Jesus Christ. Reminding ourselves that this is what our soul ultimately and finally longs for. Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. He says that his food is to do the will of the Lord. He commands us to actually remember his work on our behalf with a meal. And so we're going to take that meal together. But let's allow it to remind us of a few things. That sin is serious. And that our souls need a savior who actually satisfies us completely. And that Jesus who atoned for our sin, which includes gluttony, is the only sufficient thing to satisfy us eternally. He is the Lord. He's the Lord of the table. He's the Lord of the buffet. He's the Lord of your stomach. He's the Lord of any appetite that you might have. And self-control is a beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit that retrains our hearts to seek satisfaction not in the gifts, but the giver. And ultimately, what I love about communion as it relates to this is that communion reminds us that there is a feast yet to come. That one day, all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and had their sin forgiven are going to be brought before him in a moment of judgment, declared innocent thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ and ushered into a wedding feast with the Lamb. And I think there's going to be present there all the wonderful foods that we enjoy here on this earth, but also foods that our taste buds have never experienced before, that our eyes have never had sight of, that our stomachs have never experienced the greatness of, and we're going to get to eat all of it and not really care because ultimately we're satisfied by the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the groom is there and we're in his presence. And so we come to communion to feast on grace, reminding ourselves that one day we'll feast in the presence of the Lord. And it is in that place that our heart finds ultimate satisfaction, not in anything else. Amen? Amen. So here's how we're going to do this. The band is going to play. And we're just going to invite everyone to just come to the table when you're ready. There are multiple stations here. You don't feel like you have to come right away. Uh, You might need to spend a minute in prayer and confessing. You might need to spend some time repenting. You might just need to spend some time being grateful to God for all of his wonderful gifts. And then when you're ready, come on down, grab a wafer out of the middle, the juice there, and take a moment to feast.